Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Secondhand Sports. We got a big one for you guys today. We start off with some current events. Um, now we did record this one on Monday night. I didn't have much time to edit this week, so it's a little late, but the news is still there. Um, we're still pretty much current because there's not much going on now anyway. Um, but after the current events, we jump into the 30 for 30 reviews. Um, this is the NFL episode, so the two bills... The Four Falls of Buffalo, Elway to Marino, and the 85 Bears. Um, those were great shows, and we had a great time talking about them. Um, the second half is pretty much just Matthew flexing his football genius, um, explaining those little chunks of history of the NFL, and he does it without pretty much without any references at all. He just does it off the top of his head. So, <laughs> um, But those are some cool conversations, and next week we'll roll into our college football 30 for 30s. Now, um, we had a segment about NASCAR and the Bubba Wallace garage situation. Um, since we recorded the noose, they found out it wasn't actually a noose or it was, and it's been there forever. We're, like, nobody actually knows right now. Um, so, we, we I took that segment out because it's, it's kind of irrelevant at this point. Um, but one, one thing that I did want to say about in general about what the Na- what NASCAR is doing just thank goodness they got in front of this whole movement thank goodness that they are standing in solidarity with Bubba Wallace it was still a great sight to see them marching with him in that moment their only African American driver racing right now it's just a testament to the integrity of that organization they probably knew they were going to get some backlash from their fan base. Probably a lot of their fan base doesn't agree exactly with the Black Lives Matter movement, but they are standing with, with Bubba Wallace during this crucial time in history. And, you know, I think that's kudos to NASCAR for sure because probably a lot of people weren't expecting that. Um, and even though this may have been a misunderstanding, it's still good to see every organization participating in you know, some type of movement that's going on right now. So that's all. That's pretty much the only thing I had now because with the situation that they have, there's no telling what's actually going to become of that misunderstanding. And um, baseball's back as well. Um, We start talking about how it's not back, but then we find out. You'll see. If you listen to it, you'll see the, the moment where... Um, the break, literally the breaking news. So next week we'll have the college football 30 for thirties. If you don't really like the NFL ones and you want to listen to the college ones, here's what we're reviewing next week. The gospel, according to Mac, the Boz, pony excess and Trojan war. So, um, I've watched bits and pieces of a few of them. We're pretty excited about this one. Matthew's definitely pumped. So stay tuned for that one for next week. Thank you guys for listening as always, and I hope you enjoy the episode. All right, let's get started. Before we get to the 30 for 30s, we'll start off with a little bit of current events going on. Jamal Adams requesting a trade. We kind of teased this towards the beginning or around the middle of the last episode, but um, Adam Schefter with the all-time tweet about the possible places he could go. I mean, that looked like it was directly from a, you know, a potential agent or whatever. So 
obviously the Ravens was up there, uh, but the teams that Jamal Adams could possibly go to, Ravens, Cowboys, Texans, Chiefs, Eagles, 49ers, and Seahawks. Obviously the Chiefs just won Cowboy, a Super Bowl. Yeah, Cowboys too. Yeah, Cowboys. yeah Cowboys, Ravens, Cowboys, uh, yeah. Uh, didn't say that. Yeah, it did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Chiefs just won a Super Bowl. They have Tyron Matthew adding Jamal Adams. Another LSU superstar would be incredible to see. D- that hey, would D- DBU and KC. Yeah, absolutely. And then, I mean, Ravens being the number one, I don't know if this was like most likely in order of most likely, but him going to the Ravens, the Ravens are going to be incredible next year. I mean, they they have been stacking their defense during the offseason, and their offense is already – I mean, they probably could have gone to a Super Bowl if – that last game. They lost to the uh, Titans. That's right. Der- yeah. Derrick Henry. Right, exactly. So, I mean, they fixed that problem. So, yeah. And then Jamal Adams. Did you see the video of that guy's Snapchat where they he's like in a, a G-Wagon rolling around? It must have been in Texas. And the guy was like, hey, man, when you come to the Cowboys? And Jamal's like, I'm trying, man. Yeah, That's, yeah. That is pretty insane. So. Well, yeah, that's uh, well, going back with the Ravens, I mean, if you look at all the teams, he would he would reunite with uh, he would get to play with uh, Earl Thomas. Oh uh, yeah, with the Ravens. So, I mean, to me, he wants to go to the best team possible, right? And like you look at the, some teams, and he's he's got a pretty good list of teams. Uh, the Buccaneers as a good team, you know, playing with Tom Brady and Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Yeah, yeah, and. He, uh, you're forgetting the most important, and you're building that defense as well, right? And uh, Devin White, Devin White, Devin White. Yeah. Hey, there, are, there are a couple of LSU guys on that defense yeah. too, on that Bucks defense. Kevin Minter, right? So, also this, it's incredible that uh, I say it's incredible. It's just strange that he's doing this to the Jets too, because the Jets have come out and said that they don't want to trade him. Like, in his contract, I guess, originally they said that they weren't going to trade him, and now he's requesting a trade. I mean, like we said in the last podcast, he's doing this, and now his locker room knows that he's doing this. He also came out and said that if they pay him what uh, Mahomes is getting paid, $40 million or whatever, then he'll think about he. He said he'll stay and you'll never hear from me again. I mean, I can believe that, but I don't think the Jets are going to pay him $40 million. That's that's just, they lost too much last season. Jamal Adams is probably their best player yeah. overall, but I don't think, I mean, they need to start investing in other pieces, especially to improve their offense, because I'm pretty sure Gase doesn't like Le'Veon Bell. I heard that as well. Well, <laughs> so, like, and you... The thing is, he's already divided the locker room too, saying that he he wants to be traded. So, really, for the Jets, it's probably a really good thing to do it right now to you know trade him, right? That, like, and maybe get something for it during the well, offseason. May, may, maybe they get something. They don't, you know, because he wanted to get traded. I think last year. Oh really? He wanted to get traded last year by the Jets, he, but then like he wanted to go to the Cowboys, but eventually he said, you know, I'm gonna stay with the Jets and everything. And you know, a year a year later, and he we're in the same boat, but. I don't think he's going to stay. I mean, yeah. I really don't believe he will. Yeah. Also, speaking of the Cowboys, Dak Prescott signing his franchise tag, or expe- he did sign it today, right? I think so. Let me Let just check see. on that. He was expected to sign it for sure. Yeah, it says, uh, it says uh, 
Cowboys Dak Prescott signs $31 million tag, dollar tag, but there's still yeah. time for a longer deal. Right. Yeah. Um, the, he has until like around July to for them to extend that, and then his contract is also up. This is a one-year type situation. So like a they, franchise tag, basically. Right. So next year they'll probably have to go into negotiations again. Now, I mean, if he performs well, obviously he's got a new head coach, the head coach that won a Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers. If that head coach could tap into what Dak Prescott has, I mean, really he's been, aside from Ezekiel Elliott, they had Des Bryant too. I mean, the the, the Cowboys have been pretty good personnel-wise. So I think if they try to reinvent that or – refresh that offense then i mean th- they have when you look at their team they have a hell of a they ton have, of weapons they have a ton of talent all yeah. across the, especially the receivers when you have amari cooper amari cooper too that was a amari, amari cooper michael gallup i think they had one of the best offensive lines too oh i mean yeah tyron smith zach uh tyron smith zach uh martin mm-hmm. you know two those are two guys that are the best linemen of the decade yeah they just drafted a center from wisconsin named tyler biedet <laughs> and so then, if they get Jamal Adams too, I mean, well, no, no, and, and, they, and they also drafted CD uh, Lamb from oh, Oklahoma. Yeah, yeah, CD Lamb, and uh, yeah, yeah. So I mean, th- I th- think th- that probably helped Dak's case also. So, yeah. When they got to find, well, they also got to find. They lose Witten, but they got to find. So they got to find somebody at tight end. But <laughs> yeah, honestly, not, you're not losing much. I, I think the receiving core. I think the with the receiving core they have right now. Especially another guy in the back that the Cowboys have. His name is Tony Pollard. He's a, they're, you know, like an Alvin Kamara type player. You know, he received third down back. I think he's going to be used a lot next season. So, I mean, yeah, really, I think the Cowboys will be just fine. Yeah. It'll be fun to watch. Hopefully we can get a a season. Please, dear God. Yes. Oh, another thing, too. We can stick in football. Stick. Stay with football. Um, Clemson. 28 players, 28 athletes tested positive coronavirus. 22 of them were football players. And then over the weekend, we had 30 or 31 LSU. 30 LSU players. Yeah, in quarantine. They didn't test positive, but they they were in quarantine. I mean, this is definitely just the beginning of what we're going to have to deal with during the season. But a lot of – and people are so fast on Twitter – there's been a lot of reporters that I've followed just that are based in Baton Rouge that are like, yeah, there's no way college football is going to have a season. Like, I feel like they're counting it out too fast, but also it's going to be very difficult. If these players can recover, you know, I'll, f- I'll feel very, very confident. Like, like especially when I saw that, I was just like, oh, it's it's going to be a, you know. Yeah, it's just domino it's effect. A, yeah, huge battle. And, and not only that, but there are also a bunch of other teams – that have also tested positive too, so you know if, if if we get this for another week, I think college football definitely is in jeopardy of this season. Yeah, the thing is, and <laughs> um, a lot of people have been making the point, but there's so much money to be made in a football season, especially the NFL. I mean, college too. It's just like there's gonna it, it's gonna take a lot for the big wigs in these you know, the corporations of football to just call it off. Yeah. You know what I mean? To me, yeah, that's so that, that's um I hope it doesn't happen, but really I think it'd be it'd be catastrophic if they did. 
yeah. if they shut if they shut everything down to say we're not going to play this year because you know schools are going to lose money, jobs are going to be lost, yeah. players are going to be you know stranded for a year, right? You know, without without any football, yeah. So that's a whole year of like that you could be in the NFL, especially for younger players. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's tough. Yeah, and like to me, the solution to me is not to play it in the spring at all. I mean, I, I know there are some reports that we could probably do this in the spring. I just think that would, you know, it, it would mess up. It would mess everything up. To you know, going back to the fall, I think that they should just go right ahead. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if you look at the NBA, what they're doing, the they seem to be at full steam ahead. From the tweets that I've seen, Adam Silver has come out and said repeatedly, we're still going to try as best we can to have a season because there's so much money to be made. And it's just the, it seems like the symbolism of coming back together and being able to play um, the rest of their season, it, it would project strength, I guess, and unity. But also you have to think about the health of the players too. And the health of all the staff, because the players are in the spotlight, especially in a college football field. You have all the media and the trainers, the water boys, the the medical staff, the coaches, because there's a ton of coaches too. You know, everybody on that field. It's just a lot of people, a lot of fluids going all over the place, and this COVID nineteen thing seems to stick to a lot of fluids. So it's going to be difficult. Unless, yeah. unless somehow they come up with a solution to it, but that just doesn't seem likely within, it doesn't seem likely that that's going to happen in by September. You know what I mean? So, yeah. And what another thing that I fear is too, that, you know, college football teams are right now, there's more, what I think most likely would happen is they're going to cancel the first two weeks of college football. But then yeah. after that, you can play, you know, weeks three and, you know, play on, but then, when the winter months happen, like the bowl games, right. that's in, all, in the whole like the conference championships. When it gets colder outside, you know, I've I've read I've heard reports that like schools like uh, Notre Dame, I know Notre Dame and Louisiana Lafayette mm-hmm. are not going to have uh, classes in the fall. Yeah, I mean like classes um in December they're going to finish after Thanksgiving. Oh really? Because oh, you know wow. the winter it'll be the winter months. Yeah, it might winter. come back. Yeah. yeah. And, that, and especially, that's, especially, I mean, most of the people here listening to Lake Charles, I mean, there's a lot of cases popping up here recently. It seems to be not necessarily coming back, but hitting us hard right now, for sure. Moving on to the MLB. Once again, the negotiations are being extended. As of today, the Players Association voted against the proposed it was a 60 game season um and the it was less than what they had agreed to in march was the as far as payment goes so once again the players voted against it and are pushing to have the owners honor their agreement that they had in march to pay them a prorated amount now here's the thing too is with that agreement that they had done in March, training camp was supposed to start on July 1st, but there's no way that they would be able to start. I mean, that's literally next Wednesday. Yeah. And they aren't even, I mean, they're still all across America. You know what I mean? Like the teams aren't even together yet. 
So starting that early just would be impossible at this point. Um, what I've read is Rob Manford, the commissioner, now has um, the ability to, it says to implement the schedule of his choosing. It's probably going to be around 55 games. So, yeah, I mean, they once again, the, the players had their chance to accept whatever the, the owners had given them, but... Um. Yeah, it's well. It's it's tough to me. If you would have accepted it, if you would have just accepted this offer, you know, baseball would have probably started right in it, two weeks. Yeah, because they're gonna do tra- they're gonna they gotta do training camp and all that stuff. But like, it would you know it would have been a start to the season. But now, because of this, there's no telling how long it's gonna last. Too. I mean, eventually they're gonna have to just cancel the season. Moving on to NASCAR. Um, I'm sure a lot of people have seen at this point, and uh, I'm, I'm not gonna. Be hey, uh, breaking news! Breaking, breaking news. news! I got this from ESPN. Uh oh. Jeff Passan, breaking news. Oh. Base, ESPN's baseball's writer. Nice. MLB owners vote to proceed with the 2020 season under March agreement. Ask MLBPA if players can report to camp on July 1st. Oh wow! So, yeah. Wow. We're gonna have baseball. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have baseball. Just when we were telling you we weren't, yeah, we weren't sure. <laughs> we're gonna have baseball. Wow, holy smokes! I don't think that's ever happened before. Yeah, the players get what they want like that. Well, like I mean, every, everybody was tied up, really. I mean, well, I'm talking. I'm talking about um, like we got breaking news. Oh, breaking right? news during about? a podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the other breaking news that you had was uh, Ole Miss is retiring Eli Manning's jersey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. the other thing that we saw earlier. Yeah, his wow. jersey along with uh, Archie Manning's jersey and Chucky Mullins. Yeah, Chucky Mullins number thirty-eight. Yeah, well, there it is. But yeah, so I guess they'll start. They'll start training July first. MLB sets a sixty-game schedule starting July twenty-fourth through twenty-sixth. Spring training starts July first. Big day for baseball tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty big. I mean, <laughs> like we were saying before, now they're probably going to be one of the only sports on. I mean, besides basketball, if they can, um, you know, get their people healthy and safe and secure, that's another thing about this too is, you know, once people start getting sick, it's going to be tough. But Yeah. Uh, well, espe- heard- especially like if like, Say like like Jose Altuve. I'm not, I'm not some names like Aaron Judge, Ho- mm-hmm. Jose Altuve. Who's the guy from Bryce Harper? Bryce Mookie Harper, Betts. Mookie Betts. Yeah, um, just like in those guys. If one of those guys gets sick, you yeah. know, would the MLB consider okay? Well, if those you know those that's the face. Those guys are the face of that's the game the right money now. Makers, Mike yeah. Trout and yeah. like yeah. So it'd be it'd be it'd be uh it'd be very questionable. But right. o- honestly, for me. Because baseball, the sport it is, everyone's spread out on the on the uh, diamond <laughs> in the diamond. Yeah, and I mean, not, unless you're in the dugout, though, that's the, that's the only thing. Yeah, but, yeah. But then, but th- wasn't there a plan where they were gonna like? Oh like, yeah, they were all gonna sit in the stands. They were all gonna sit in the separated. stands, and yeah. they were gonna play in like Florida and Arizona. That is true. Yeah. That was like the first thing that came out. <laughs> that would be yeah, yeah, pretty incredible. It's, and it's happening so fast too. What I've heard about the NBA is they're trying to do like a bubble thing to where they like like building a bubble over the arena. Yeah, that's crazy to me. But I mean, we'll see how it plays out. The NBA is definitely by far one of the most progressive um, 
leagues as far as you know players rights and uh making it more of a players league compared to like baseball where it's a team oriented and things like that so i mean it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out i mean we're just talking about how everything is so fragile right now college football and nfl i mean there's no telling how they're going to solve these we've never had these kinds of problems before they're really going to have they're really innovating right now with getting these people back on the field and the courts and stuff. Yeah, so. think, think outside the box, basically. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, RBC Heritage this weekend, Webb Simpson defeated Abraham Anser with a score of negative 22. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people, Webb Simpson, he's one, you know, he's a really good golfer. He's won the two, 2012 uh, U.S. Open. And, uh, Dang, he's been around a while, huh? Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's <laughs> a really good golfer. Um, but he's also the Phillip Rivers – of golf. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. You know, has, he has a lot of kids. <laughs> yeah, it's all that tweet. Webb Simpson is golf is the golf equivalent of Philip Rivers. Gets it done, looks awful doing it, has a <laughs> trillion kids, loves the big guy upstairs from the it's, Carolinas, it's from the et cetera. Carolinas. Yeah. yeah, from the Carolinas. Yeah. I mean, he was shooting under a 70 the whole weekend, so. Yeah, he had a, yeah. Didn't Daniel uh, Berger. Berger uh, he won the. Uh, last weekend? He won the Charles Schwab last week. Okay, yeah. And he yeah. almost, yeah, he was top five. He was close, I was about to say, yeah. He was tied for three with Tyrell Hatton. Mm-hmm. So, golf is back. They had a rain delay. NASCAR had a rain delay, too, I believe, yesterday. Um, but, you know, trying our best to get sports back, and I surely appreciate it, so. Well, a rain delay is not as bad as a COVID delay. Amen, brother. Amen. So I can I can go with that. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think having a 37-year-old? We're on to Cincinnati. It's nothing about the past, nothing about the future. It's right now we're preparing for Cincinnati. Okay, starting off our little 30 for 30 segment. We're This is fresh, first time we're trying this. So obviously it's going to, you know, we're going to tweak a little bit as we go. We want to... Obviously, for this one, we're starting off with NFL. Next week, it's going to be college football documentaries, and we'll go over which ones we're going to do that for those as well. Starting off, the two Bills. Um, The first note that I had was Bill Belichick with that stash at the beginning. Did you see that? I mean, he looked like a little kid compared to what he is now, but um, that was pretty funny when he was first starting his career. For sure. Another thing too, and I, I we kind of talked about it in the last last episode, was how much they were tied together. Um, like pretty much everything Bill Belichick did, as far as career wise, was influenced by Bill Parcells. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, that to me, I had no idea before I watched this. I had no idea they were that you know tied to one another yeah and that that made it even more and obviously i mean i say obviously there were so many players that said that like they didn't like each other and there was bad blood but i mean it seemed like at this point they were just two old coaches you know what i mean they they just they put that behind them if there was any animosity there so well um, yeah well both coaches were very very different bill parcells you know, I think Bill Parcells is one of the greatest coaches to ever coach this game Absolutely, because of, you, yeah. you you look at His you look career. at how yeah you know one Bill you know Parcells was very in your face but you know you know eventually like everything would play out then you would understand okay that's why he, you know did all that stuff that's why he said like you know that's why that's why the man is who he is mm-hmm. and like 
Belichick was kind of like a like a, you know a scientist basically. Yeah. Didn't look, doesn't look like LT said he doesn't look like a football player at all. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. you know he knows his football. Right. He, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I have that on here. I loved watching the tactical tactical defense. Like it wasn't Tyron Matthew flying out of nowhere. It wasn't Richard Sherman, the Legion of Boom. It was just a tactical tactical. I can't say that word. Tactical defense. I mean, they're playing. It's Bill Belichick's out there playing 4D chess, just like he is now. Every cutback lane is filled. I mean, it it just got me pumped because I mean, as a defensive, I like watching defense more than offense. Just mm-hmm. in general, that's just the position I played. But Same um, it's just seemed like nobody was trying to be a hero. Just across the board. I mean, it's just a tactical defense also another note that i had was bill belichick was the defensive coordinator for one of the most ferocious linebackers of all time in lawrence taylor like exactly just i mean you watch those highlights and i've seen him a bazillion times but um yeah it's just ferocious so yeah um well not something that caught me in the documentary like you said how they were connected when um you know Bill Pars when Bill Parcells retired because he had you know he retired for a year and then Belichick was supposed to be a successor in New York with the Giants but right. he went to the Browns people were saying man Belichick should have been the head coach but then you know Belichick does his thing in Cleveland and eventually it fails after the Browns decide to move and Parcells is you know doing being a broadcaster for a couple of years but then eventually you know he he goes back he goes to the Patriots becomes their head coach an organization that just hadn't been winning for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And 1996, after Pars- after Belichick was fired, you know, Belichick was the assistant head coach and defensive back coach with um with Parcells. Mm-hmm. You know, they made it to the Super Bowl and they lost. And then, you know, Parcells was talking about, like, the back of groceries or something like that. Yeah. You know, saying that, like, you know, he should be the head coach, the Patriots, or I think – because him and, him and Kraft were – Banging Fighting. heads, him banging right. heads. Yeah, and when Parcells, and then when Parcells left it to go take the head coaching job with the Jets, who that season '96 were one and fifteen. That's the thing about Parcells, Bill Parcells. He's a program. He's a builder. Mm-hmm. You know, with with the Giants, he, he built them into a great team. But with mm-hmm. the Jets and the Bill Patriots, who were you know two of the worst franchises, went before he took over. Right, and just took them to you know took yeah. one. Yeah, but um, yeah, and Belichick joined him in New England. I mean with the Jets as a defensive coordinator. Eventually, Parcells, you know, Parcells was going to step down and Belichick was going to be the head coach. And he was the head coach yeah. for 30 yeah. minutes. He decides, yeah. <laughs> I'm not doing this job. and has that press conference. And, yeah. you know, I, I don't know how to word this, but, like, the, the stuff that happened at the end of New England between Kraft and, Kraft and um, Parcells. Parcells, the same thing happened with, with at, at the Jets. With uh, Parcells and Belichick, because mm-hmm. Belichick, you know, is like, look, I'm gonna leave and be the head coach of the Patriots, right? Because like the whole mo- the whole reason why Kraft didn't want Parcells to go to the Jets was because you're in the same exact division. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's an interesting story and leading up to one of the best, you know, two decades of the franchise, you know, two decades of football in in the Patriots. It's pretty incredible. Another thing that I noticed. And this is kind of a running theme for all of these is how much they're connected. Because I watched the two Bills and then I watched the Four Falls of Buffalo, mm-hmm. and the Bills had um, pieces of Belichick's story in there also. 
you know, kind of tied in there. I mean, it's really, we're watching the history of the NFL, you know, some of the highlights of the history of the NFL. And so, um, yeah. Also, (laughs) one note that I had was uh, Pete Carroll was with the Patriots. I had no idea that was a thing. (laughs) That was weird to watch him with anybody other than USC or the Seahawks. Well, he so. no, not only the Patriots, he was also the head coach of the Jets too. Him and Parcells faced each other, and then the Jets lost. Like the Jets lost like their playoff game, like a game to make go in the playoffs in nineteen ninety four to Dan yeah. Marino's fake spike. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. They lost to that, and I think that's when Pete Carroll, the they Jets fired Pete Carroll, and they hired look him up, Rich Kotite. I got no you, clue. You, you, you can look that up after. Yeah, yeah I got no clue who that is. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. There's no place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Moving on, the four falls of Buffalo. Um, I mean, incredible story for sure. Probably, I think this was probably the best one out of all, out of the four. I liked the the two bills in this one the most. Um, because they are remembered as the team that lost four Super Bowls in a row. But now, and and they made it a point in the documentary, they are now the team that made it to four Super Bowls in four a row. Four straight in a row. Yeah. I mean, that's incredible when you think about this. The the length of an NFL season is insane. So Yeah, you know, the Bills in those four years, you're playing 25 games a year. Basically, yeah. you're playing. You played over 100 games in the past like four years. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, it took a toll on them. But um, you know, it's it's one of the greatest. You know, I think it's honestly one of the greatest dynasties of all time. Even though they didn't win a Super Bowl. Yeah. But you know, just just the way that, you know, just just the way that team was built. With Jim Kelly being, you know, Jim Kelly, he was drafted by the Bills, but he didn't want to go to Buffalo. Yeah, he was and in the USFL for Houston a little while. Gamblers, yeah, yeah. That was another thing about Elway to Marino. They showed a little bit of Jim Kelly too in there. Yeah, it's just just interesting. My, 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 well, also I also liked it how they talked about his like cancer fight. Yeah, and the part when he was at Niagara and he was saying, "I have no regrets at all." Yeah. you know, I love my career, and that part got me. That was yeah. You know, this is a guy who is basically the the symbol of like. You know the symbol of the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, the symbol of you know when they were successful. Yeah, when you you know get the guy you know the symbol of you know getting back up after you've been knocked down and going back at it again. Right. There was there was a quote that Marv Levy said. Marv Levy was the head coach of the Bills, by the way. Mm-hmm. Just some of you young people didn't know, but uh, <laughs> there was a quote and it said, "Fight on, my men." Sir Andrew said, mm-hmm. "A little I'm hurt, but not yet slain. I'll just lie down and bleed a while." And then I'll rise and fight again. Yeah, that that's the symbol Dude, of that, that Buffalo Bills team. Basically. Goosebumps. Yeah, goosebumps. And then the the other one. There's so many good quotes in this one. When it's too tough for them, it's just right I for us, that. man. That was that was. I was like, yeah. golly, that. I mean, that's what a mentality. You know what I mean? And and it's really true. And that's another thing about this documentary is it's not only this team, it's this city, and that was one thing that Scott Norwood was saying over and over, he, he was confident he could make the kick. He missed it and he looked torn apart. I mean, he looked like he was shredded, but he faced the media immediately after that. He answered every single question. He didn't go and hide in a closet. He faced every single question. He mm-hmm. made a speech in front of the entire city and they embraced him. The city embraced him. And that's, exactly. that's just, you know, that's, that's what the, and the Buffalo Bill fans are still like that. You know, they're, 
There's some. They're, they're jumping on tables. <laughs> yeah, they're doing all this stuff. Bills Mafia playing in you know, and they have an outdoor stadium in the worst conditions you can imagine. Yeah, but yet those fans are still very very passionate about the Bills organization, about the Buffalo Bills, and that's what's really really. I think it's really yeah. really cool. Absolutely, and now Josh Allen. I mean. They could make a run here. If they start putting some pieces together, I mean, the current Bills team is um, looking like they could put something together. Uh, the other thing, and, and Matthew said it earlier, what Kenny Davis said about that that wide right kick. Oh, yeah. Um, the Bills running back, Kenny Davis, yeah. has a really good quote from the documentary. And people were asking, you know, maybe had he been, like, farther, closer, maybe – Maybe he would have made the kick because Scott Norwood's kick looked good. I mean, right? It was they talked it, about it, yeah. and, he, and people they were saying like it was in terrible conditions, all that. But it, that kick was he hit that kick really, really good. Uh, but the Bills' backup running back, uh, Kenneth, Kenneth Davis, said something. And it just I laughed so hard about it. He thinks that Scott Norwood missed that. That kick was missed because the Apache helicopters that are flying over uh, Tampa Stadium. Yeah, <laughs> blue because, wide right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was tough. Yeah, that was uh, yeah, the start of the Persian Gulf War that same day right? Uh, on Super Bowl Sunday. Mm-hmm. Whitney Houston singing the, singing the national anthem, one of the yeah. best national anthems of all time. I mean. Yeah, very America, especially with the Bills red, white, and blue. Yeah. Um, I mean, you and could Giants, tell yeah. before – I didn't know much about Scott Norwood before this, but I could tell when they first started interviewing him or showing his interview – I had notes like, man, this guy looks torn apart before he mm-hmm. even like got into the story. And I mean, he gets emotional multiple times. I don't blame him. I mean, you have the city resting on your shoulders. Um, but I mean, and they talk about it in the documentary, it was what, 46 yards away in grass. He'd never kicked in grass before. He'd never kicked that long of a kick before. In the I Super mean, Bowl yeah. with four seconds, like eight seconds left in the game. Yeah. I mean, the pressure was on for sure. Uh, one other thing that I had was O.J. Simpson is just he's in, in it. Do- he's like, in it. Like multiple times, and they don't even like address like, oh, yeah, also. You know, O.J. came out <laughs> locking all this stuff. Yeah. And- <laughs> he's like interviewing people. It's just it's just funny to see him before like the you know spiral out of control that he just went there. Down, and it's like it's like 1993. Right. It was the uh, it was the it was the. Footage from the game versus the Oilers. They're like yeah. the big greatest comeback in NFL history. Right. Yeah. Which I got, I got a couple of things on that, but you got anything else? To talk about? I, I was just going to say, it's funny that I, that at that point in history, he was the best, one of the best running backs of all time, if not the best, and the best Buffalo Bill of all time. And so he was still just kind of like hanging out. Yeah. It's just, it's just funny. Good, good. That was yeah. a good time to be OJ at that point. Absolutely. No, um, but after that, eesh, yeah, <laughs> got, it got pretty bad. <laughs> um, and then also, what they said was they had so little time to rest in between seasons, and that's kind of a testament to what the Patriots have been going through here recently. Is they get all the way to the Super Bowl every year, you have a much shorter off season than a team that doesn't make the playoffs, and so yeah, and, yeah, and yeah preseason as well. Yeah, and you're playing, you know, sixteen regular season games a year so yeah to me it took a toll it took a toll on them and to me i just want to explain this a little bit but you look at the four super bowls they played in they weren't going to beat the dallas cowboys 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 Cowboys, at that point they were just they were done the cowboys were you know starting you know started their dynasty was beginning Mm -hmm. they had one of the youngest teams they had jimmy johnson as their head coach 
And, you know, they, they could have been honestly that now that team could have been one of the best dynasties of all time, but I'm I, I can talk about that later. But uh <laughs> yeah. they weren't gonna beat the Dallas Cowboys in those last two Super Bowls. They definitely were not gonna beat the Washington Redskins in the uh in Super Bowl um in the second Super Bowl they played in. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, the Redskins at that people football outsiders rated that Redskins team as one of the greatest teams in, in NFL history. They finished fourteen and two. You know, the quarterback, Mark Rippon, you've probably never even heard of Mark Rippon. Yeah, no. <laughs> Mark Rippon, you know, had you know, had a all pro season basically and before and he became like the third Redskin quarterback to win a Super Bowl. You know, J- their head coach Joe Gibbs, he was the first coach in NFL history to have three di- win a Super Bowl with three different quarterbacks. Joe Theismann, Doug Williams and and uh Mark Rippon. Rippon. Yeah, but going but then um that but that first one against the Giants. Yeah. That was the best opportunity to win a Super Bowl. Today. Absolutely, they, yeah. they could have won that one. Maybe they could have lost the next three. Yeah, but I think had they won that one, they would have a lot more. A lot of things could have changed. Yeah. But honestly, I think, I think that just makes the story even greater. Yeah, you know the Bills, you know, got there, and usually teams like you know they'll get there and they'll lose, and then you may see them there again, but sometimes you don't see them. But the Bills went four straight times. Yeah, like in in. The night in 1992 season, in the playoffs, they were playing the Houston Oilers. They were down 35 to three at halftime. Frank Reich came in for an injured Jim Kelly, mm-hmm. and led the greatest uh, comeback in the history of the NFL. Yeah, won that game. I think 38, 30, 35. Well, I forget the final score. Yeah, <laughs> 30, yeah 30, 38, 38, 35. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ding. <laughs> but hey, you know what? Uh, you know what Bill stands for? What? Boy, I love losing Super Bowls. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was funny, too. I saw that. Pretty incredible story. That was probably my favorite one, just thinking about now. Just the story in general. Yeah. but and, and it really is true, and you hear it all the time from kickers or teams that lose to a kick. It's like they shouldn't have been in that position anyway. They didn't really come too hard on Norwood for that first one. But that was definitely the game that I thought that they could uh, win – yeah, the but, most out of all the Super Bowls. So. Well, it was it was the closest score. I mean, Bill Belichick had a very good game. His game plan, the game, the Bills that season were just knocking out everybody. The playoffs, they just breezed through it. They beat every team by like fifty points. Right. But the Giants, their plan was, look, we're just going to run the football with Otis Anderson, and we're going to take time off the clock so the Bills don't have an opportunity. So, and the Bills almost won that game, but yeah, yeah they you know Scott Norwood missed the kick and it was over. Yeah. The rest is history. Did not flub at all. No, it wasn't a flub. It was there was no flub. flub. But, it was uh, not a flub. Uh, you want to see that playback? No, come on. Let's do it. Hi, I'm Dan Marino from the Miami Dolphins. Welcome to Visa NFL Quarterback Club Week on I hope you've enjoyed your Thanksgiving day. We have more NFL action on this Sunday starting at 1 p.m. Eastern. But tonight, you'll get a chance to be my backup quarterback for a day. Next one on the list, Elway to Marino. This was more of a... Uh, draft and uh, admin- I say administrative, but kind of like a front office type documentary. wasn't as exciting, but it was definitely interesting for sure. And you think about these situations, so many teams passed on Marino. Mm-hmm. I could see the same the same kind of documentary being made for a Patrick Mahomes that falls far in the draft or uh, Lamar it Jackson. Didn't, didn't fall as far as Marino though. Right, yeah. Now Lamar Jackson, yeah. yeah. I mean, but the but the guy that was drafted ahead of Mahomes, um, some Mitch Trubisky. Mitch Trubisky. Yeah, like that's yeah. Stupid. But I read um, an article today about 
It was from ESPN. The Bears have like the worst quarterback record like of any other team in the NFL. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, the the documentary started off kind of with introducing Elway, John mm-hmm. Elway, and introduced Dan Marino, and both guys were, you know, a year before '83, I think '81. They both could have been, you know, number one choices. Mm-hmm. And you know, John Elway had a very good senior season at Stanford, and Dan Marino had a good junior season, but then kind of dropped off his senior year. And the rumor had it. The reason why he fell in the draft was because they thought that Marino was addicted to drugs. Yeah. Take but, yeah, let's talk about uh, John Elway. You know, John Elway was the first pick in the draft by the Baltimore Colts. And Elway, his reason was he didn't want to play for the Baltimore Colts because, and for me, it wasn't just because, you know, he said it was a cold, an excuse saying, okay, it was cold weather in media just to give him something. But the reason why he didn't want to play for the Baltimore Colts was because Frank Cush was – you saw like his Frank Cush was the Colts head coach, but you saw like Elway's dad, Jack Elway. You know, Jack was a player's coach. You know, someone that Elway, you know, okay, he could perform good under, but if he would have played with Frank Cush, Frank Cush, just a total disciplinarian in your face type coach. Mm-hmm. So it, it wouldn't wasn't have made it, sense. Wasn't it the front office too? Something about the the owner of the or the GM, Robert Ursay, yeah. the owner. Yeah, yeah. he. Uh, Robert Ursay, he he had some. Um, ever since he bought the Colts, he just he was really hated mm-hmm. in Baltimore. You know, kind of had. He, he had, said he, he said he wasn't going to move the team, and then he did. Yeah, he, he eventually so. moved. Them. He he wanted to move him the minute he bought them. Oh really? And that's that's the reason why that's another reason why Elway just didn't want to go there because the the Colts. In 1982, went 0 and 8. That was the year of the stri- that was the year of the strike in mm-hmm. the NFL. And that team went zero and eight, so that gives that was the probably the main reason why John Elway said, "Look, you know this franchise is in disarray. I don't want to play for it. I want to go to a team that can give me everything." Right. So then the Colts, the Colts and Elway talked, and they said, "Look, Elway said, look, I don't want to play." And you know Frank Cush was like, "Okay, that's fine. They we're going to try to trade you, or we'll, we'll try to trade you." And yeah. Ernie Acorsi was just hired as the general manager, basically. And I like I like the way he was hired. Robert Kraft fired the GM. Remember that scene? He he fired mm-hmm. the GM, the original GM, and then went to Ernie Acorsi's office and said, "Hey, you're the next general manager." <laughs> yeah. And he had to take yeah, he had to take a pay cut. Well, Acorsi, and I don't, I don't know if I would blame Acorsi for taking Elway, but Acorsi said, "Look, we're no, we're we're taking John Elway because he's he's the best prospect that I've ever seen." Yeah, I mean, probably one of the best quarterbacks in in the history of the NFL to me what was interesting was the the whole situation with the Yankees too yeah him saying that he was going to go which I once again I I've I definitely have an understanding of NFL history I had no idea John Elway was also a baseball player <laughs> oh, John, so yeah, yeah. so I mean that was definitely surprising to me um that part too it's just interesting you know um it's kind of like how uh who was it? Was it was gonna play for the Cardinals guy? Oh, uh, Kyler Murray. Yeah, he was debating on playing baseball too. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's the same type of situation when you have these, you know, super duper athletes. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's just two sport guys. Yeah, it was probably way more rare back then because there was a less less of a uh, players' rights mentality type thing. You know, 
back then it was more like you joined the team, you were part of this team, that kind of thing. So yeah, but what like and like so the Colts dropped to Delaware, mm-hmm. and then okay, so now the Colts dropped to Delaware. Well, of course he originally wanted to, he wants to draft him because he knows it's the right decision, and it, I mean. I'm not going to blame Okorsi for taking him, but it probably wouldn't wouldn't have been a good decision. But Okorsi said that if they weren't going to take Elway, you know, their next quarterback on the board was Dan Marino, mm-hmm. which I questioned. I was like, you know, why don't you just take Marino? Yeah, Marino was on the board. He was rated high, but because of how the stuff that was going about him, yeah, they decided all the rumors and stuff. And you know, and yeah. what fast and nothing that in that documentary that really um, shocked me big time. There were a couple of teams trying to, you know, trade up for Elway. And the one team, the one team that wanted to get Elway at one point, the, the, the documentary is told by, um, it's basically kind of, it's told by. The guy that represents the yeah, Ma- lawyer. Ma- Ma- Marvin Demoff. Yeah. And he, he had a diary that he never showed to the public at all. Mm-hmm. Well, um, one of the teams that wanted to trade it for him was uh, Bill Walsh and the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah, he wanted to. Bill Walsh wanted to trade Joe Montana, a guy who had won a Super Bowl for you for a fifteen like fifteen months earlier in nineteen eighty two. Unbelievable. He wanted to trade Montana to get away because Bill said, "Look, no one." Bill Walsh said, "No one's position is safe. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it doesn't matter if you're Joe Montana, it doesn't matter if you're Ronnie Lott, no one's safe." Mm-hmm. And eventually, they just said, "I think Bill just said, no, I'm not going to trade him.' <laughs> yeah. But you, just think about." Yeah, had the, that trade happen, the shift in the NFL, if that would have happened, yeah. You know who was taken in uh, pick number seventeen? Leonard Smith. Leonard Smith. McNeese State. McNasty. McNasty represent. Yeah. He, he, hey, by the way, Leonard Smith also played for those the Buffalo Bills oh, really? as well. Yeah, he was. Oh in a, wow. Yeah, he wow. was the uh, safety okay, starter. Yeah, yeah. Cornerback, he played for the Bills. Yeah, mm-hmm. that but was then, another thing too about this one was Jim Kelly was in there and. Jim they, Kelly. They had a whole segment about how he went to the USFL, which is so weird. They kind of s- skimmed over that a little bit in the uh, Four Falls of Buffalo, but yeah. Um, yeah. But then, but yeah, and then as the draft goes on, the Kansas City Chiefs took Todd Blackledge. The next quarterback that was taken was Jim Kelly, and they don't, they don't talk about Jim Kelly. You know, along with Marino and um, Elway was a Hall of Fame quarterback, mm-hmm. but they don't really talk about Jim Kelly that much. And Jim Kelly was he was drafted by the uh, Bills, and like he he didn't want to go to Buffalo because being from Miami, he said I want to go play yeah. you know, I want to play for a good franchise, and he got drafted <laughs> by the Bills. The Bills what happened was the Bills they drafted a tight end first, and they said he was like Jim Kelly was like cheering. He was like yes, yeah, yes. he was pumped. They're 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 not going to take me. Yeah, and then like one pick went three and then three picks later, yeah. two picks later he gets picked by the uh, no, two picks two, two picks, picks later, later he gets yeah. picked by the Bills. Yeah, and then after that you know that pick was taken. So yeah, the Patriots they wanted to take Jim Kelly, but eventually they just said, "Look, we can't take, you know, Jim Kelly." You know, the Bills picked him. So the next guy they say, "Look, let's just take Tony Easton." Mm-hmm. And Tony Easton, Tony Easton, the thing about him, he's he went to a Super Bowl with the Patriots when they played the Chicago Bears in 1986 in New Orleans. But Easton just wasn't he wasn't the he was just a fragile quarterback. Oh really? And I think you know injuries really got with him, and you know the Patriots probably regret that decision big time. Because, but he did beat Dan Marino in the uh, AFC Championship game, and that year to go to the Super Bowl. Mm. That was in '86. Okay, '85 season, '86. Right. Okay, yeah, I was yeah. about to say. So I was. Yeah. Okay. So, th- so then yeah. the draft went on, and yeah, Leonard Smith was taken. <coughs> yeah. Um. So then, 
you know, the draft goes on and eventually, okay, well, Ken O'Brien. Oh, and well, the Jets have the pick. So it's like, okay, you know, New York Jets, Dan Marino going to the Big Apple. It may be a very good fit. Mm-hmm. And then the the Jets just pull a card and just say, we're going to take Ken O'Brien from Cal Davis. And everybody yeah, was shocked about I, that I one. don't even know who this is. Thinking about it now. Yeah, Ken O'Brien. He, um, By the way, Ken O'Brien, he has a winning record over Dan Marino. Because they're both division rivals, but O'Brien's won more games over Marino. So, wow. And then eventually the Dolphins waited. You know, the, the Colts waited to the first pick instead of making any deals, and they had to. You know, they had to. I defined them. They defined their dysfunction. But the Miami Dolphins said, "Look, we're going to take Dan Marino because that's our guy." And what a pick the Dolphins had. Yeah. And he was still he was still scrutinized even when he was picked, because you know. Paul Zimmerman, he was a really good broad, it was a good, you know, football guy, broadcaster. He was saying that, you know, who's gonna work with him down there? Who's gonna work with Dan Marino? Don Shula yeah. doesn't have an offense. They're like, it's Don Shula. He's the greatest coach ever. Exactly. He's gonna yeah. make it work for Dan Marino. And right. it did, and he went on to have a Hall of Fame career. Didn't win a Super Bowl, but one of the best quarterbacks of all time. Absolutely. And I I remember that part specifically because I was like, what are you talking about? He's got Don Shula. Like yeah. it didn't make much sense. It's but. it's gonna it's gonna work. It's gonna work. And yeah. But um yeah, and so then that's over. Daryl Green was picked by the Redskins, Hall of Famer, cornerback. Mm-hmm. I was gonna ask you when because <clears throat> the the documentary kind of skips around. So I wasn't sure like John Elway is he gets drafted and then like the next week he says he's going to the Yankees or no 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 like the day the day the he day was drafted of the draft that he said that if he was drafted by the Baltimore Colts he would sign with the New York Yankees gotcha. and he's in the media he said in the media came out and said oh he's going to sign with the Yankees now because the Colts drafted him mm-hmm. and you know the Colts were basically waiting for trade offers and the best offer to me they had were the Dallas Cowboys. Because the Dallas Cowboys had something that no other team had. There were a lot of teams that traded for him, but they couldn't get it. But the Cowboys had Danny White, quarterback Danny White. Danny White played for Frank Cush at Arizona State when he was the head coach over there. So oh. that, yeah, that would have been so. And the Cowboys were going to offer, and because, of, and that's where you know they thought he was going to go. And the yeah. you know, I'm getting really carried away with this, but yeah, no. so then, but then like they, <laughs> they but then so they said. But then they said, okay, well, we're going to take, you know, yeah, we're going to take, you know, we're going to try to trade Danny White to get John Elway. And eventually Bob Ursay, the owner, started negotiating. He started, came in on the negotiations and everything just changed after that because Bob, you know, they weren't, they were dealing with the Cowboys, Gil Brandt, the, P, the player personnel, Tech Schramm, general manager. They were dealing with Frank Cush. They weren't dealing with Bob, es- Bob Ursay. And Bob Ursay, Put a stop on that, and that, that never happened. So the Cowboys had the best offer. However, you know, eventually Elway was. People were assuming that John Elway is going to play for the New York Yankees. Mm-hmm. But you know, he's saying, "Look, football is not the question." Well, the fourth pick, the Denver Broncos had the fourth pick in that in the draft. Mm-hmm. They selected a guard named Chris Hinton. Chris Hinton, yeah. And Chris Hinton, <clears throat> which uh, also I just saw Seattle drafted Kurt Warner. And I was C. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. Anyway, Chris Hinton. Yeah. So yeah, the uh, they took Chris Hinton in the draft, and Frank Cush. You know, the the Broncos were also in play to try to get John Elway, but they just they didn't have that. You know, they didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Eventually, Frank Cush. You know, 
called Dan Reeves, the head coach of the Broncos, and he said, look, you know, how about y'all do this? Y'all take an offensive lineman and Chris Hinton, and we'll talk about it. Maybe that will be – and eventually it worked out. Mm-hmm. John Elway eventually became a Denver Bronco. Chris Hinton, who was picked by the you know, Broncos – was picked by the Broncos, has now became an Indianapolis Colt. There's something else I missed in there too, but <laughs> what was it? Yeah, but um, let me finish this one. Okay, so okay. then eventually the Broncos they signed John Elway. The drama's over. John Elway's gonna become a Bronco. The Colts, you know, they were the Colts were trying to get. I think three. Like they were trying to get a, just a load. They and the reason why, of course, he took Elway mm-hmm. is because he knew that if they don't take him, they don't take a, you know him now. And they lose out on a quarterback in this draft. They're not going to be able to get a quarterback the next draft because Boomer Esiason in the 1984 draft was the highest pick. He was picked in the second round, so everybody would try to get him. So I don't blame Acorsi, but Acorsi probably could have traded to get Marino. But I mean, could have taken Marino instead. But then again, his draft grade wasn't higher than Elway's. Yeah. And then yeah, so then after that, um, the Broncos, you know, they got Elway, and then the Colts, they got um. And the Colts, instead of getting what they wanted, they got the Broncos' backup quarterback. I think like a first-round pick the next year, and Chris Hinton. And Chris Hinton went on to have a very, very good career in the NFL. He he was the first player in NFL history to play center, guard, and tackle. Oh wow! And um, you know, he joked. He said in the documentary he joked around with the Colts players were joking around with him. They were saying, "Man, we could have had you instead of Elway." But yeah. then Chris Hendricks came back and said, "Yeah, but you wouldn't have you wouldn't have had anyone to block for him." Right. Yeah. I kind of went on that one for a little while. Oh, no, it's, that that it's that right. one that one's probably my favorite. Yeah. So interesting, because there's I mean obviously there's the games, but the storylines, and that's what I love about sports: the storylines around the game. The forty-six defense, um, to make it very plain and to the point, is all about pressure. It is all about pressure. We're going to come at you, and we're going to hit your quarterback until you get another one in. The next one, the 85 Bears. This one was also good. The only complaint I had about this one really as a whole was like I wanted to hear more about the story of the the 85 Bears, but the documentary like – kept going off on tangents about like where the bears were now, like where some of the players were, where buddy Ryan was, which I understand covering that. But like, I feel like they just like skipped through the actual season because it, and it was probably was because they dominated so much. It probably would have been kind of boring to be like, Oh yeah, the bears just like whooped ass the entire season. So well, yeah, it would, it would have been just like the America's game documentary. Yeah. Cause that, yeah, that, yeah, but, that is but, true. But this documentary, this this 85 Bears documentary explains more about like you know all the stuff that happened off the field as well. Right. It talks about each each individual player, what their role was, you know, and and not only the players but the coaches too. Yeah, and um, yeah, and the, yeah. To to me, I mean, the one that stood out the most was Mike Singletary. I think they did that on purpose, and he was probably I think when this one came out. He must have been a head coach in the NFL at that point. I can't remember what, when did this one come out. I think 2016. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he was he wasn't coaching, but um, yeah, it basically kind of highlighted the story to me. Basically, really highlighted around Mike Ditka and defensive coordinator Buddy Ryan. Buddy Ryan. 
And yeah. um <laughs> Buddy Ryan. Yeah. Yeah, and like, you know, and it, you know, Buddy Ryan when basically it starts it kinda it starts off talking about Mike Ditka and what he was with the Bears. He was a Hall of Fame tight end, first tight end to have over a thousand yards in a season in nineteen sixty three. Mm-hmm. And uh, eventually him and you know, Papa Bear George Hallis just came mm-hmm. at came came at each other and they just realized that, you know, this is not gonna work and you know, he left, went to the Philadelphia Eagles and then, you know, just had a very bad career there. But then Tom Landry signed Mike Ditko as a tight end. He played for the Cowboys for a couple of years and eventually Landry made Ditko a uh, assistant coach on the team. Right. Yeah. And, you know, Landry, you know, Ditko coached there for one Super Bowls and but he wanted to go back and be the head he wrote a letter to George House saying he wanted to go back and be the head coach of the Bears. Mm-hmm. And George House gave you know, they reconciled and went over their differences and eventually he became the head coach. Right. And, and they then, were they were talking about how they only paid him a hundred thousand dollars and Ditko was like, I didn't care what I was getting paid. I just wanted to be the head coach of the Bears. you know what I mean? And that's mm-hmm. that's a football guy right there. Oh, he's you a know? football guy with the cigars and everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I love I love it at the end of the documentary when it just shows like the players and the, the like. It's the uh, that song. Playing. That song, yeah. I mean, and it's, it's just like I, I, I watched that this documentary. I was at my house all alone, <laughs> but if you watch the ending of the '85 Bears, I watched this one in my house all alone. The volume turned up all the way, and man, yeah. I just wanted to run through a brick wall. Oh, I was dude. about to. It was it's incredible. That was really cool, and um, yeah. But yeah, it highlights the players. It highlights their quarterback, Jim McMahon, and Jim McMahon was you know. He's an NFL character. Mm-hmm. He, but, but, but like I like what he did was like he was, he was kind of more of like a jokester, like not like a jokester, but like you know, look, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm Jim McMahon, you know, went to BYU, but I'm gonna drink a beer right in front of George Hallis. <laughs> yeah, not not give a single shit about it. Yeah, sign language, but uh, <laughs> so then after that, um, I was trying to think of an equivalent, in like you couldn't have a Jim McMahon now. No. You know what I mean? Like social media, and they talked about it. There were no cameras in Chicago. There was no cell phones at that time period. Like you couldn't have an '85 Bears now because it would all be on social media. Yeah, and so. I mean, you, you had so many characters on that team. You got with guys like Walter Payton, Sweetness. Yeah. You had you know the offensive line like Jimbo Cover, the fridge, the fri- the fridge. <laughs> you had a uh, like the line like Gary Fensick, the safety. That's what I put like you, this yeah. whole team. They just started listing off the roster and the the players that were coming onto the team. I was like, this is just a bunch of badasses. All, Steve Steven Michael, the defensive yeah. tackle. Yeah, he played a huge role in the documentary too. I mean, th- he was really good. Yeah, yeah. Richard Dent and all the yeah all those guys. And um, you know, the documentary highlighted you know the build up to that year, and eventually they made it. You know, they had a they went that season. They went fifteen and one. Mm-hmm. The greatest defense. Burger, I know you're a Ravens fan. <laughs> I know you look at the 2000 Ravens and say that is the best defense <laughs> I have ever seen. I I don't, I, you know, the 2012 Ravens defense was good too. Ed Reed, mm-hmm. Terrell Suggs, Ray Lewis. But yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, buddy, buddy Ryan, you know, invented that defense. Yeah, the, the, the 46, the 46 defense, right? Oh, or as as a they've as written, Singletary said, the 46 defense. Yeah, I think they've written books about that. They have, haven't yeah. they? Yeah. Well, yeah. it was it was from the, they, the defense got started from a defensive back on the Bears. I forgot his name, but he wore number forty six, mm-hmm. and like he was like a safety, but he was blitzing. So right, like, you know they what? moved him to linebacker or something like that. So. Yeah, they said that's yeah. what we're gonna call it because like the forty six defense, it's all about you know getting after the quarterback. Exactly. Yeah. 
And, yeah. you know, it, it also kind of talks about, like, Mike Ditka and, D- and Buddy Ryan's strained relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the defensive players, they before Ditka was hired, they wrote a note to George Hollis saying, look, we want to keep we want to keep Buddy Ryan. Mm-hmm. And eventually they saved his job. And then Ditka got hired and, you know, Buddy's saying, I'm the best, I'm the best coach here, I should be the head coach. And him and, you know, Mike Ditka never got along. Mm-hmm. But together they built, you know, one of the best one of the best teams <laughs> in NFL history. They right. went fifteen and one, and they, you know, they one thing they, they probably could have went sixteen and zero too. They could, yeah, have, you know, yeah. yeah. That that loss was to Dan Marino and the Miami Dolphins. Mm-hmm. You know, at that time, Dan Marino was the best quarterback in the league. Yeah. He had a second straight All Pro season. You know, Mark Duper, Super Duper, Mark Duper, Mark Clayton. <laughs> um, yeah, and eventually they just, you know, they didn't really, um, you know, they beat the Bears, but the Bears that were able to come back and they, you know, strolled into the playoffs and they played the Giants and like I remember they just and the Giants at that time, that was a year before their Super Bowl run. They had a good defense too, but the Bears just destroyed absolutely destroyed them. Yeah. And um That's another thing too, yeah. is Bill Parcells was in this one yeah. too. I mean it it all comes yeah. full circle. You're literally watching the highlights of the history of the NFL, recent history anyway. Yeah, and then yeah. so then and then they talk about um so then they talk about um so they beat the Giants, they beat they beat the um they beat the Giants, they beat the Rams in the NFC championship game. Mm-hmm. Bears going to Super Bowl. Go to New Orleans. And then the media. Yeah. It was, and like Stephen Michael said, like, you know, they they were saying like we know we're gonna win the game, but we're gonna go to New Orleans, we're gonna party. And for right. a, a team like for the a group of guys like that, they were like misfits. Yeah. All these, you know, cast offs, but they were like, you know, they're tough. And they're gonna do whatever the hell they want. Mm-hmm. So they got you know, they got you know to New Orleans and they were all just getting hammered. And then yeah. the media, you know, was <laughs> like the media, the media, media was just attacking them. Like because yeah. I mean that's what they were like the fridge. Yeah. The endorsements. That, I mean the guy was a, you know, three hundred and seventy pound defensive <laughs> lineman from Clemson was too fat. That's what Buddy Ryan said. And Mike Ditka got the idea and said, look, we're, we're gonna put them in a fullback. Mm-hmm. And he scored like five touchdowns that season. And like he just became like he, instead he became more of like a what do you say fullback? Well, not like a fullback, but like fat back. a big a big fat guy. No, a fat yeah, fat back, <laughs> a fat guy playing fullback. Yeah, you know he's he's I getting mean, those those goal line offenses that you always have. I mean, especially in high school, they just put like a defensive lineman or, yeah. or a offensive lineman at a fullback position. He just, runs like three yards and yeah, just you know, punches down right. Yeah, exactly. and um. But like yeah. the 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 endorsements that these guys got, yeah, the the marketing and everything, like what, the fridge, yeah, like you just had, you know, they had Saturday Night Live sketches, like said they had, they had a Saturday Night Live sketch of the Bears or something like that. And yeah. To me, like it's one of the greatest teams, but it's also one of the it's like the greatest group of characters you can imagine. Right. They came out with the Super Bowl Shuffle. Yeah. And you know, you have all this stuff going. Uh, uh, freaking Singletary, the the preacher guy. I mean, the whole time he was, it was very slow and deep everything that he said had weight to it you know and mm-hmm. he was such a big guy i mean c- compared to what he looks like now i mean obviously like y- you put on you put on so much weight when you're in the games back then like he just seemed like such a ginormous human back then he had the eyes too the eyes yeah <laughs> i would not want to be a quarterback looking at that because you know that he's coming right at you yeah so eventually yeah, so eventually the bears they make it to the super bowl and all that stuff and all that stuff happens jim and man you know, Jim McMahon's story was, you know, he when he was a kid, he was playing like he was playing Cowboys and Indians and he had the gun holster stuck. Like the gun holster was stuck with like there was something in between the gun holster. He was trying to fix it mm-hmm. with a fork and the fork slipped 
went through his eye. Hit it in the eye. So yeah. he became, you know, blind to that eye. Yeah. And he really couldn't see. So then, like, you know, the documentary goes on and everything, and, like, he was just a jokester. Like, the media was starting to get on him because he said something about, he said something in New Orleans during Super Bowl week. He said something about the New Orleans, like yeah, the, all the all the girls in New Orleans are sluts, and then all the guys are stupid or something yeah, like he, that. He, he said yeah. something like that, and then like the media was starting to hammer him, but he did yeah. that to kind of take the pressure off their team. I, I thought he that wasn't true or whatever. Well, yeah, like, I mean, I don't, I don't think it was true. Yeah, yeah. it was. It wasn't true, but Alan, there was allegedly. So they were they were asking him. They kept on some. The media was like, you know, let's see your ass, my man, or somebody there. Let's, let's see your ass. He's like, you want you want to see my ass? Yeah. Okay. He pulls his pants down, like shows yeah. the media his ass, and that that it all just like stops. Yeah, just a different time, man. But it's I mean, crazy. like, crazy. I know, and but the the night before the Super Bowl, um, oh yeah, Buddy Ryan. This story, man. This yeah, is Buddy Ryan basically went in and said, you know, said, look, you know, tearing up and saying, guys, look, um, you've been a great team, but. You know, it's it's my time to go. I'm gonna be the next head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, and it just walked out. And yeah. th- what the team did. You'll, you'll always be my heroes. Yeah, you'll always be my heroes. And then like everyone just that meeting Destroyed room just erupted. The room. Yeah, like McMahon got like a no, not McMahon. McMichael got like a chair, threw it at the wall, and got stuck <laughs> into the board and everything. Yeah. Like, and they like they just wreaked havoc. Yeah, and they they took their frustrations out on the Patriots the next day. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, the the. That was a rough Super Bowl. What they they won forty five well, to ten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of which, there there were actually two guys from McNeese that played in that game. Oh really? <laughs> Keith Ortigo, wide receiver for the Chicago Bears. Go look him up. He's in Keith Ortigo. He played wide receiver for the Chicago, he played wide receiver for McNeese. Mm-hmm. And then the the Patriots had another receiver named Steven Starring. He played wide receiver at McNeese too. He played with wide receiver with the Patriots. Started in the Super Bowl. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Keith so, for, for all, yeah, for all Magnus listeners, hey, yeah, <laughs> there's a couple of guys that we covered. <laughs> so then, yeah, so then after that, eventually the Bears won the Super Bowl, and you know, instead of just at the end of the game, not only not only put you know Mike Ditko on their shoulders, let's put Buddy Ryan on our shoulders too, because he's a huge part of what that team accomplished that year. Yeah, and then Buddy Ryan eventually left, and then the team, you know, they had a couple of good you know runs after that, but they never made it back to the Super Bowl. Right. They still had a very dominant defense, and then eventually everything kind of ended. And yeah, then, it just kind of fell apart. And that was one of the things, too, like Ditka got all those endorsements. Yeah, and that's, then that's what – Turned around and told the team that they were too focused on stuff off the field. I mean, but there, Ditka there was, was a doing bunch it off of different the field. things. Yeah, right, Ditka exactly. was the one that was doing it, too. Yeah. Because, I mean, that, that's what that team was all about. Yeah. And this is also before, like, Jordan and the Bulls – yeah, kind of became who they were. The Bears were. It was all football, and then so they went to basketball. Yeah. So then everything you know happens. Buddy Ryan goes to Philadelphia, and then they played. Buddy Ryan and goes to the Eagles, and then takes the Eagles to the playoffs in 1988. They go to Chicago to Soldier Field to play the Bears, and that game is mostly remembered. It's the NFC Divisional game. Mm-hmm. That game is mostly remembered because of the fog that came over off of Lake Michigan, and that game, came, that game became known as the Fog Bowl. The Fog Bowl. Yeah, Eagles fans were screaming like, "Stop the game!" But they didn't <laughs> stop it. And the Eagles lost that game, so mm-hmm. it hurt them big time. And then, um, you know, eventually, but yeah, the, the, the Bears never, never made it back. Eventually, everybody would go their separate ways, and then, and then it started kind of talking like off, about off the field stuff that happened, like off the field, yeah. like at, at you know after their careers were over, you know, Walter Payton. It was kind of sad for me for Walter Payton. There was one part I got left out. 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Vern. No, no. That's that's what I was gonna say. Is um, Walter Payton? I wish I. That was one of my notes. I wish they had focused more on him because it seemed like, like he yeah, was like just like kind of. Which I don't know if he has his own thirty for thirty or what, but they they like Walter Payton. They just kept mentioning him and didn't have anything on his story hardly at all. Kevin Butler, the kicker Keith Butler, said that Walter Payton was a Chicago. He was the Chicago Bears, right? And he yeah. he really was yeah. the greatest player in this in the franchise's history. And he never got to score. You know, he didn't get to score a touchdown in the Super Bowl. Yeah. But and you know, you could argue. He's you the know, reason Dick, they Dick, got Dick, there. Dick, yeah, Dick, well, oh. Ditko was saying, like, you know, I didn't know it. And then everyone said, okay, no, you, you knew it. Like, you should have – you let him get a touchdown and all that. Mm-hmm. And Sweetness was just, you know, just incredibly upset. But then McMahon, Jim McMahon was saying, if you go back and look at the footage. He's the reason they beat no, the hell out of well, him. Well, no, no, no. He said it – If Jim McMahon said, if you go back and look at the footage, the whole every, – every, you know – the defense the whole entire time they're keying Walter Payton. Right, they, they exactly. know it's going to go to Walter Payton. Yeah, yeah. He's the reason they were that their offense was so successful was because yeah. everybody was watching Payton instead of. But I think when the fridge scored, else. I think that's when they're like, you know, yeah. I think Walter maybe you should have let Walter Payton score <laughs> it there. I mean, I know the fridge what he was that season, but Walter Payton, yeah. he was Chicago Bears, and especially when you're beating him that bad too. I mean, one of the this guy like. Probably one of the best running backs of all time. He, I mean, you look at what he has done in his career. This guy didn't just re- lead rushing for the Bears. He was their best receiver for a couple of years. Yeah, he carried the Chicago Bears for like thir- for like eleven, twelve seasons. Right. And yeah. eventually, you know, he retired, and then, and then, you know, they, they did. I, I say they did make that a point in the documentary where they were talking about how. They're what they didn't really have a quarterback, and they relied every they put everything on him, and he was just wearing down because so much of the team was um, relying on him, pretty much yeah. just to carry him, the ball. Yeah, him and defense. Yeah. So then it goes to nineteen ninety five, and then it shows you know Walter Payton. He looks like he can still play. This is ten years after you know the Super Bowl, and then he started not feeling well. Yeah. There was rumor. There was stuff going out. You know, he had lost a lot of weight. And they need. They said, and then they announced in the documentary that he needed a liver transplant. So it showed yeah. an emotional press conference with him and his son. And, yeah, that part was tough. You know, Walter Payton eventually. You know, he died of you know liver. He died from the liver disease, and then you know it. It really shocked. As Gary Fensick said, it said it. it Gary Fensick said that it really shocked a lot of players. And it was you know you know because they didn't think Walter Payton would go away like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's he. You know, it was very shocking, but. Then you you go flat you go forward again you go forward, and then defensive back Dave Durison, he killed himself. Yeah, and you know that's when, that's kind of when CTE and everything was kind of like being discovered, right? In the NFL and like you know Durison was one of the first guys that you know did that to himself, and then you know a lot of Bears were they were like talking to. You know, you know Dur- they said Durson. You know, he he just wasn't himself. He said he just wasn't really feeling well, and then he did that to him. He did that to himself, and then the other players were talking about it. Uh, Otis Wilson, the linebacker, he was saying like, you know, they asked him, you know, do you worry about CT? And he's like, well, you know, I'll be worried when it happens, but right now I'm happy. Okay. I got everything, but I've set everything aside. I've said I'm so if it does happen, I'm ready for it. Yeah, but you know, that's the thing. You don't know what's gonna happen. You don't know right. when it's gonna hit you. CT, it's very scary. Yeah. And they they and I think they made it a point to ask them about that too because they kind of had that little segment after 
his suicide where they were like, would you do it all again? You know, would you change anything? And they were like, nah, I'd do Absolutely. it again today, you know? Do it again. And I thought it was also, they kind of ended it on a positive note with Jim, Jim McMahon going through the treatment for yeah, his CTE because he was talking about his he migraines. Was, he was having the same things, but then he went to that yeah. guy, he went to that guy in New York. Yeah. And they, they discovered that, look, it's not, that's, it's not what's affecting Jim McMahon in the head. Yeah, it's, not the, it's what's affecting him going through the spinal canal, like something like I don't know the pressure, basically. The pressure, yeah. basically. He didn't yeah. he didn't have that much spinal fluid going up to his brain, mm-hmm. so he went to New York and got that this thing where they like tapped his like he like they it tapped was like his in neck, his temple and his yeah. spine. Yeah, like he had it looked so he, satisfying. Like he, had, he had those. I know. I, I would. <laughs> I was like, oh man. Like he he uh, like he had those you know depression, suicidal thoughts. Yeah, but he got that once he they said he said once like they did that he felt like a toilet just like flushed in his brain. Right. Yeah. And, and like I, I like that that they kind of ended it on a yeah like the damage the, like the damage that was done is done you can't reverse that but right. you can at least he can do those treatments and he seems you know he, he he seems better than ever yeah I mean still devastating but he seems good he seems okay right it was sad that um seeing Buddy Ryan in the shape that he was in that part was Dude, kinda, he, he was one thing I don't know they didn't do anything with Rex or Rob Ryan at all no they like, weren't they really. weren't even because they weren't really a part of it. Yeah, I mean, Buddy was still alive and just, yeah, and Buddy was about eighty years old and, yeah, just in terrible shape. Yeah, and Singletary, you know, yeah. visiting him and all that. Yeah, that and then to watch. You know, eventually, what was pretty cool at the end, the same letter that his defense wrote to him, saying yeah. that um, you know, thank you for saving my job. And then it, it talks about, and then so then he wrote a letter back to his players, his defense, saying like to my guys and stuff and. Yeah, you know, just my thanking heroes. Them. My heroes. You'll always be my heroes, and thanking them and all that stuff. And like Mike Singletary just broke down. I was like, oh my gosh, yeah. like, this is just, this is just insane. This is great. Yeah. And then you know, yeah, and then like you said, it shows the music, like the dun, yeah, dun. that song, man. That part. That part. That I don't even know what it's called, but they it's, play it's, it. Like I, I Friday it. Night Lights, I think had it too. I or? have it on my phone. It's called a. Uh, it's called the Mighty Rio Grunt. The my the mighty Rio Grande. Mm. This will destroy you. That's who it's by. Yeah, it's like ten minutes long. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, good good way to end it for sure for mm-hmm. that one. Um, yeah. But question, Berg, is the eighty-five defense better than the two thousand defense? Ooh, that's a good question. That's a that's a good question. I think the. The savagery, the um, God, how do you, how do you, the ferociousness of the '85 Bears was definitely. I mean, they were talking about. They had a segment about like, what would you get fined for now for the stuff that you did? I mean, the same thing with the Raiders. Same thing with the Steel Curtain. Like those guys were just brutal back they, then. They didn't. They didn't care about the rules that the NFL yeah. said. They all hated Pete Rozelle. Yeah, they they were gonna do whatever they you know they wanted to. Like yeah. Al Davis, you know he, his yeah. he had a a list of Raider rules and it said Raider rule number one, <laughs> cheating is encouraged. Raider rule number two, check back at number one. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, Raiders. I mean it's just it's just fun to watch. Um, such a great story too. Like you said, I mean, it, it's very. Uh, like movie worthy, I guess you could say like the characters in it and everything. And it's, it's cool to, 
um, just watch that part of history of the NFL, you know? Yeah. So. Every every guy had their own story, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I mean, yeah, that's that's probably one of my favorite 30 for 30s of all time. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. It was a good one. I cannot play with them. Cannot win with them. Cannot coach with them. Can't do it. I want winners. Next week, let's see. Do I have a? I thought I had a list for the uh, college ones. Okay, we, we may have to break that one down. Yeah, the gospel according to Mac. <laughs> so, the next ones, the next set will be a college set. The week of June 29th, the gospel according to Mac, the Boz, Pony Excess, and Trojan War. And I'll put that on the uh, the description for for this podcast in case you guys forget. I'll probably tweet it out too, just to tweet yeah. it. And then we'll probably do something like the U U Part Two Catholics versus Convicts for the next one. So yeah, we can um, find we'll find like another yeah one pretty easy. I mean that shouldn't be that hard. Yeah, I, li- I like that better. Yeah, that should be good. The Boz is a good one. I've never seen the Gospel According to Mac. I've seen pieces of the Trojan War, so I'm pretty excited. This that that NFL one was. That was a good set. That was fun. So yeah, call it college football. Like it's this one to me. It's like I'm I'm a big college football fan. Yeah, and I've enjoyed these like much more. This is one of the reasons why like I got like I became a fan of college football. Watching Pony Excess. Yeah, watching you know this is yeah. It's like it's so pure. It's pure. Yeah, pure exactly. pure sports. Alrighty, so. We loved having David on. If David, if you're listening, thanks for coming on. That was an awesome interview. I, I thought that was probably one of the best. As far as information goes, very uh, insightful as far as for McNeese Athletics and um, the future of college sports coming up. So, yeah, this was a good episode. Thank you guys for listening. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. <laughs> and we'll see you all next time. Farewell. <laughs>